know you, I ask in Jesus' name that you would reveal yourself to them so that they might find life and life abundantly in you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for joining us uh, today, guys. Thank you, Casey. Uh, My name's Anthony. I am the pastor here at Fellowship Church. If you're joining us online, we want to uh, take some time to welcome you as well. We always know we have people join us from all over the country and uh, all over the world. And just want to give a special shout out um, to Oklahoma City where you're gathering. Um, You'll be watching this message next week. We want to welcome you as well. And... um, it's been, it's been a full week for me. I don't know about you. And I, I came in today just feeling just like this strange uh, desire to wait on the Lord. Wait on the Lord. See what, see what God would do as we wait on him. The scriptures say those who wait on the Lord will renew their strength. It says that we, those who wait, will mount up with wings like eagles. And so I don't know if you're in a season of waiting uh, I'm not really in a season of waiting, but I just sense this season of waiting uh, for our nation, uh, for our church, for the church, for the world. So um, as we wait, know that what we're waiting for, that our hope is in Christ. Had the opportunity to um, go to uh, two weddings, uh, one in the morning yesterday, um, and then got to perform a wedding last night. And so I'm trying to get out of wedding formal mode here and just work with me for a second. So um, that's why I wore shorts and Tim and I and um, Ryan wanted to show our legs off today. So um, Casey's the one who wants to be prudent and wear pants, but that's all right. Um, so it's, it's summer. Why not? It's supposed to be like 85 today. So um, I want to talk for a minute about um, just, just sappy animal stories. How many of you ha- really kind of get teared up over sappy animal stories? Um, there's this, this social media group. I, I think it's called Dodo. And... Um, after the burden. And Dodo, they always have these, these little um, happy animal stories. They're really not happy. They're usually sad, and usually I end up crying um, inwardly a- a- as I watch these things. And, and on these Dodo videos, they always have, like, uh, like if, if a kitten is, like, meowing, they'll, like, write the word meow next to the kitten as if, I don't know why, but it, it's cute. And um, it induces more emotion. And so I was thinking about, like, these special interest animal stories, and um, I love the stories where, like, a dog... Um, gets lost, and the owners have to move, move across the country, and then like a year and a half later, the dog shows up on their door. How many of you, that gets you crying? Like, that's just like, oh, you know, it reminds you of all the dogs that you've lost before. Cats, eh, I don't really care if they show back up again. Um, but but the, do- the dog ones are sad. Uh, there was this story last year, I, I mentioned it actually in one of, our, one of our sermons that we had, that there was this beluga whale, and I think it was like in Norway, and and you can look it up yourself, so I'm probably quoting this wrong, but this beluga whale who someone dropped their cell phone um, in a harbor, and the beluga whale literally went down, got the cell phone, and brought it back up um, to the person who dropped the cell phone. And if the beluga whale could talk, it would have said, here's your phone. Um, (laughs) And I was just like, oh, that beluga whale is just so precious. I want to give it just a big hug. Um, So these, these stories, I I, uh, last weekend, my wife and I, we had like the, literally the busiest weekend ever, and we're in a hurry to get somewhere, and this, uh, this elderly couple was stuck on the intersection of Kubler and um, Sunnyside, and they're like, can you jump our car as like cars are whizzing past us and we have somewhere to be, and I'm like, we have somewhere to be, and I just felt like, oh, we actually have to stop and help, and even if I get hit by the car while doing it, I've done the right thing, and so we did, and like, they, we jumped it, and then it died again. We're like, come on, guys, just keep it going. And so we jumped it again, they, got, and they, they drove off, and we just like got out of there as fast as we could, so if it died again, it wasn't our responsibility anymore. Um, 
but about two hours later, we're driving on Turner Road um, here in Salem and heading out to uh, the town of Turner. And right by the Humane Society is this, this big, beautiful, furry um, collie mix. But it's much bigger than a collie, but black. Just scared to death running down Turner Road. And so we pull over, having lost dogs like this ourselves, and, and having people try to save dogs that they weren't able to save that were ours. So we're like, we're obligated to save this dog. So we pull over, even though we're in a hurry, try to get the dog to come. And then this, this big SUV just comes barreling like 60 miles an hour down Turner Road as the dog's veering into the street. And we're just like all cover our hands and ears. But the dog um, moves off right at the same time. And the car is like honking at us like it's ticked that we're pulled over. Like you almost hit a dog, man. So we, we, we pull over, and um, there's this side road with scotch broom. And, and I'm able to kind of go and talk to the dog. And it literally comes up to me, and it just said, and it did say something. It said, and basically what it says is, I'm lost and I don't know what to do. And so I sat on the ground. He was freaked out by my wife and my daughter. Um, who isn't? And I'm kidding. <laughs> no, I don't know. That's, that's just a random thing. So um, he comes up to me and he walks over to my uh, driver's side of the car and he starts to get in my, my Jeep and he's like, which would be like, help me get into the car, dear, precious man who's come to help me. And so he's too afraid. He's, he's clearly big enough and healthy enough to jump in. And um, he, he finally is like, looks at me to ha have him get in the back. And so I help pick him up. And um, we, we drive to the Humane Society to see um, if we can drop him off. That's not as easy as it sounds, by the way. It's very hard to take care of a dog that's lost. That's a story for another day. Um, but we couldn't drop it off at the Humane Society. And while he's there, he's just snuggled up against me, just like, Thank you for saving my life. And so we, we finally got him to the Marion County Animal Control. My wife went to see if we could drop him off there. And these great women that volunteer or work there came out, got the dog. And he literally just would not get out of her car and was, like, clinging to me. And I was just, like, tears on the inside. Uh, and we drove off. And my wife's trying to talk. And she's like, I just, like, just need a minute. It just it is sad stuff. And so I, I get worked up. Like, I, you watch movies about, like, sad stories about people dying in movies. Uh, people don't get to me like animals do. And it's just like so sad for some reason. So that brings us to our sermon today. <laughs> it really does. I was, I was listening to this, this YouTube video um, about uh, a woman and her daughter who um, started feeding crows in their backyard. And the crows would get used to this uh, family feeding them. And they started to bring their friends and family to eat in the backyard as, as well. And some of you guys I know don't like crows, but crows, I, I think, are actually very beautiful creatures, um, incredibly smart, and um, radically smart. So these, these crows that were coming to these people's backyard started to bring, um, like, gifts to the family. Um, one, one day in particular, a ring, brought a ring and put it into a bird bath where typically um, the food was not left. And it was almost like, became like this exchange. You feed us, and then we bring you gifts. And they kept bringing stuff. And so the years passed on, and the, the daughter um, who was feeding the crows with her mom kind of grew up, and she became an amateur photographer. And so she's going to a photography shoot miles away from her home, um, does the photography shoot. She gets home, and she realizes that she leaves the lens cap um, somewhere behind where the photography shoot would take place. She remembered she'd laid it somewhere. And so she goes out. Um, into her backyard, and she sees the bird bath that has water in it, 
and there's a crow with the lens cap in its mouth, washing the lens cap in the water, laid it gently beside, and then flew off, like, here's your lens cap. And so this is how smart some animals are. And so those of you who, who love pets, uh, have pets, you know that even birds can be brilliant, if not some of the most brilliant animals. There's a video that came up on Dodo the other night when my wife and I were laying in bed, and it was... Um, a parrot who a woman had had for 26 years, and the woman was dying in the hospital, and they brought the parrot to go visit her, and the woman told the parrot that she loved him, and he started crying. And I, and I, and I, I just read the description. I'm like, I can't even watch this. <laughs> so I didn't watch it. You, you can look it up if you're a sick person and want to see that horrible thing. Um, so animals are smart. And all throughout Scripture, God uses animals for bizarre things. We've got uh, birds that Noah sends out from the ark. We've got this, um, essentially a, a sorcerer um, by the name of Balaam, who, who God uses a donkey to stop him in his tracks. Um, we have a fish who, who gives up enough money for the disciples to pay their taxes. There's all these animal stories in Scripture that are they're very fascinating. And I just fully believe that all creation serves God. And I think that the animal kingdom, uh, being without sin, except for cats, uh, the animal kingdom, they, they live to serve God. And, and oftentimes, I think animals serve God much greater than we as fallen human beings do. And so last week, we started this series called Eli, and we're looking at the story of Elijah and Elisha from First and Second Kings, uh, prophets in the Old Testament. We re- kind of recapped that these two men were so full of the presence and power of God that when they went places, they actually changed the atmosphere. They miraculously impacted those who came into contact with them, and they moved in signs and wonders. Uh, But the purpose for this kind of power was not just for the sake of presence and power and signs and wonders. The purpose was for the power to be used by God to advance his will. And we learned that specifically the power that was being used it was to confront and call to repentance the kingdom of Israel and its rulers. And it was to warn them of God's coming judgment if they did not relent from their wicked behavior. And so this is not the most enjoyable job. And we kind of ended last week with this idea that many of us want the power of God in our lives. But we don't want the call of God. We don't want to follow God in the things he gives us power for. And so we see the power of God as self-serving instead of serving others as God calls us to. And so these two prophets, Elijah and Elisha, they've got this very difficult job. And you might think, well, if I had that kind of power, if I walked that closely with the Lord, then I would do things like they would. And I would say, probably not, because I know I would struggle with it. And these guys struggled with it immensely to the point of wanting to end their lives. This is not an easy job. See, prophets are called, and oftentimes exclusively called, in and for times of trouble. Prophets are called in times of evil, for times of evil. God uses prophets to call the powers that be to repentance, that call out the sins of a nation, to confront evil, to warn of judgment. And Elijah and Elisha, they did walk boldly in both the power of God and the call of God on their life. And so where we left off in this story, we're at about 800 B.C., uh, Israel has been split into two kingdoms, Israel to the north uh, in a land called Samaria, and then Judah uh, to the south in a land typically called Judah. And um, both kingdoms are a train wreck heading quickly uh, into a ravine of 
judgment and exile and just utter destruction of their cities. And so the last scripture we read was 1 Kings 16.33, talking about the new king of Israel, the northern kingdom of Israel. It said, Ahab, that's his name, did more to provoke the Lord, the God of Israel, to anger than all the kings of Israel who were before him. And so this is the most wicked king Israel had ever had. And it's during this wickedness, it's during this evil reign, it's during this time of complete injustice and ultimate evil where God calls the prophet Elijah, and it's where we are introduced to Elijah for the first time, who the New Testament says is a man with a nature just like ours. And we need to remember that. Elijah is just an ordinary guy. There's nothing significant, unique, or special about him. He is a man with a nature just like ours. And so he's sent to confront the most powerful man in the region. He's sent to confront the most evil person this nation had ever known. And this confrontation, it happens in 1 King chapter 17, verse 1. It said, now Elijah, the Tishbite of Tishbe in Gilead, he said to King Ahab, and we're just introduced to him here. We don't, we don't have a backstory. This is just where we find him. This is what Elijah says to Ahab. says, as the Lord, the God of Israel, lives before whom I stand, there shall be neither dew nor rain these years except by my word. And the word, my word, is, is God's word, but God will use Elijah to give this word, and so it's kind of this double meaning. So I'm declaring drought, and when I declare rain, then it will come at the hands of the Lord. Now, this might seem like a strange thing for Elijah to do, and specifically for God to do. Why does God want to bring drought on the land? Well, for one, that's one way God brings judgment or discipline to a nation or a people is through things like drought and like famine. But this is a direct response to King Ahab's institutionalized religion of the god Baal. Uh, Baal worship was enormous throughout the ancient Near East. And Baal was typically affiliated with fertility and rain and crops and life. And so if there is a good birth rate, if your crops are bearing fruit, uh, if there is a good rain season, uh, if you're, the, the women in a community are having children and live births, um, people are giving credit to this false god, Baal, who again is a god of fertility. And this is why, uh, it, it's graphic, but it's important to state, this is why um, people were erecting these idols that were called Asherah poles, which were essentially um, phalluses or male genitalia lifted up around the land because this was a sign of fertility. It just shows the debauchery that the nation had fallen into. And so what God is trying to say to King Ahab is Baal's not God. Baal likely, um, biblically speaking, with the lens of the New Testament, Baal is very much likely a, a demon, a, an, an evil spirit who has masqueraded himself as a god. And whether he was a true entity or one that people made up, it's irrelevant. Either way, the enemy loves it when humanity worships false images that are not God because it takes the focus away from the one true God. And so God is telling the nation that Baal is no god of fertility. He is not a god of rain. He is not a god of crops. He is not a god of good birth rate. He is not a god of life. God is saying, I am. And so to confront this, I can turn off the rain, and I can turn on the rain whenever I want to, 
and you will know when this happens that it's from me. Now, today we're setting up the most well-known story in the life of Elijah and Elisha that we are still not going to look at for a couple of weeks, but this is where the story happens. It's where it starts. It's this showdown between the prophets of Baal and the prophets of God uh, on Mount Carmel. And so God's going to use Elijah to be a conduit for this message that he is sending both to Baal, the false god, and to Ahab, the one who's institutionalizing the worship of this false god, that, um, again, he's no god, and God's going to use Elijah. Now, I wanted to take a side note for a moment, because this is a question I often ponder, and I have people ask me, why does God need to use people? Why does God need to use Elijah? God doesn't need to use him. God could have manifest his presence before King Ahab in some radical way, and told him what was about to go down. God could have, you know, declared from heaven in a booming voice or with a glory that people would be blinded by. There's all sorts of ways that God could have given this message to Ahab, could have done it in a dream, could have done it as a supernatural whisper into his ear that only he could hear. Here's what I've learned in my life. I often find it is more meaningful and powerful in my life if God uses someone else to tell me something or to confirm something. Because if it comes directly from God, which it has, oftentimes I second guess and think that it's myself and not God. You've been there before? Is this God? Is this me? But if somebody, especially someone who does not know you, who does not know the situation you are in, if God uses them as a conduit to bring you a word of knowledge, a word of wisdom, a word of prophecy, those things go hand in hand, it is a greater example of just simply God saying, yes, I have said it, and it is so. It is a way for that to be validated. And so I find prophecy to be incredibly useful. And you might still say, well, again, why doesn't God just appear to us sometimes and tell us stuff? He did to Adam and Eve, and that didn't work. He did with Jesus to thousands, and and they killed him. And so we might say, ah, we would listen. But this is not how things always work. For some reason, whatever reason it is, God uses people to do his work, to be a conduit to bring about his will. It gives credence to what God is doing when he uses prophets. So 1 Kings 17, 2 through 3. This is what Ahab was told by Elijah. Hey, God says he's he's shutting down the rain. It's going to be a drought. So 1 Kings 17, verse 2 through 3 says, The word of the Lord came to Elijah now. And this is what God said. Depart from here and turn eastward and hide yourself by the brook Cherith, which is east of the Jordan. God says, get out of town. Literally, leave leave the place where, where at least God is understood or acknowledged to some capacity. Leave the place where some people worship God. Go east of the Jordan, which is a desert place, and you need to go to this stream, this brook. It's called Cherith, and this is where I want you to go. Now, the Bible doesn't explicitly say why God's sending him there, but it's implied. God is sending them there to hide. He's just confronted the most powerful man in the land, the most evil man in the land, and he needs to hide because as the drought comes, the king is going to come after Elijah to try and get him to get God to get it to rain again. So what does God do? God provides Elijah with a place of refuge following his obedience. 
God provides Elijah with a place of refuge following his obedience. If you and I are in the will of God, if we're in the will of God, God will protect us until his will is complete through us. God calls the prophet Elijah to a dangerous job, the dangerous job of confronting the evil of a king and calling a nation to repentance. But Elijah doesn't need to fear because the God who called him will also sustain him and protect him. See, what we kind of went into last week and we'll we'll rehash again is that God often prepares places for us when our enemies are present. Elijah didn't need a place to go when he didn't have enemies that were present. But when he confronts Ahab, God prepares a table before him, just like David said two or 300 years before, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. When we are depleted from the ministry God calls us to, God provides us with places of refuge. If you study the life of Jesus, even though Jesus was God in the flesh, he was fully man and fully God. After Jesus went through a period of intense ministry, the Father would call him away to places of rest and refuge. And so if you are in a season of busyness or a season of ministry that's exhausting, you need to rest. You need to take time away. You need seasons to withdraw. We need to be obedient when God calls us to places of refuge and protection. No sooner, no later. See, Elijah could have ran and hid before he confronted King Ahab. In fact, that's what Jonah did, and that didn't work. He could have ran and hid too late, and Ahab would have caught him. You see, we have to be willing and ready to pivot whenever God tells us to go. You see, God does not, I don't think ever, hold a scroll out and say, here are all the days of your life written in my book before any of them came to be, and I want you to know all the events that will happen. If God did that, we would avoid those events at all costs, and it would not work. And so Elijah does not have a plan laid before him. All Elijah hears from God is go, and he has to decide whether or not he will say yes to the go and go. And he has to be ready and willing and listening to whatever God says, whenever God says it. And literally, he has to be ready to pick up shop and move whenever he's told to. 1 Kings 17, 4 through 6. God says, you shall drink from the brook. And I have commanded the ravens to feed you their connection to those those stories. That was just the hook to get you to pay attention. Okay. I have commanded the ravens to feed you there. So he went and did according to the word of the Lord. He went and lived by the brook Cherith, that is east of the Jordan. And the ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning. Can you just imagine this for a minute? Just do it. Like, you're... You're camping out uh, in the woods next to the brook, and every morning, ravens. Now, we have crows here in western Oregon, but if you go into the mountains, there's ravens. Ravens are, I'd say, 150 to 200% bigger um, than a crow. These ravens come out, and I can saying, caw, like, here's your meat. Caw, here's your bread. So God uses these ravens to provide him with this, with this food. And he provides Elijah with substance following his obedience. So God had just turned the water off for the land of Israel, but God kept the water running for Elijah until it's time for him to leave. He, he takes him up into the foothills. 
where there are tributaries of rivers, where those are going to be flowing, and those will be the last thing that dry up. And so God says, go there, I'll keep the water on for you there. And so he didn't just move to a place where he would need water, but he moved to a place where there wouldn't be food. And God says, I got you covered. Um, Uber Eats is coming your way, and it's a raven. Um, Tip him. And so these ravens, they're going to feed you. He's going to provide him with food. God had the food brought to him. And God uses one of the most intriguing and beautiful creatures to do this, something that cultures often see as an omen of death. Ravens are sustaining his life. Think about that for a minute. Cultures throughout centuries have associated ravens with death. Uh, Even the Roman culture did. But here, something that man associates with death God is the one who gave it life and uses this creature to sustain Elijah's life. This is an animal that's declared to be unclean in Elijah's own law that was given by Moses, which was given by God. But the uncleanliness of a raven didn't mean that this creature was an atrocity. It just meant don't eat it. Don't eat crows or ravens. They're gross to eat. They're not good for you. And so what Even the religion of the day said was unclean. God was using to bring clean food to Elijah. This should remind you of the story of the Exodus, where God provides the Israelites in the wilderness with meat. And how does he do it? He brings quail, another bird. God provides the Israelites also with bread. And how does he do it? He does it with manna. God provides the Israelites with water. How does he do it? He springs water forth from a rock. And so here, Elijah is like this microcosm of the life of Israel as they're leaving Egypt. When we are in the will of God, God not only protects us, God provides for us as well. Philippians 4.19 says, My God will supply all of my needs according to his riches and glory. Psalms 23, 1 through 3, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He's going to feed me. He makes me lie down in green pastures where there is grass that I can eat. He leads me beside still waters like the brook Cherith. He restores my soul. Until God's plans are done for you, God will protect you and provide for you with all you need. Whatever God calls you to, he will equip you to. Whatever God calls you to, he will provide for you and equip you with all that you need. We'll go there in a second, but let's keep going with the story. Verse 7 through 9 says, after a while, the brook dried up because there was no rain in the land. So now um, the faucet has been turned off. Even here in this tributary, uh, the brook is dried up. And so the word of the Lord comes to Elijah again. Now, Interesting question we can ask, we don't know, but did God speak to Elijah in the meantime while he was there? Probably not like he has here. God tells him again, time to get up, time to go, time to keep moving. And uh, God says to Elijah, arise and go to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon, and dwell there. Behold, I have commanded a widow there to feed you. So I want you to go from the wilderness And I want you to go across the country to a place where Baal worship is the most extreme. Because this is the God you're confronting, after all, Elijah. And so, go, there is a widow, and she's living there. She is not an Israelite, and I will command her to feed you. Note, just because the brook dries up doesn't mean God's done with you. So the brook dries up. Elijah could have thought to himself, 
the call of God is over on my life. God told me to go to the brook. The brook is dried up, and so now I need to go back to what I was doing before. And so if your brook dries up, if you run out of money, if, if you get let go from your job, if your spouse leaves you, it doesn't mean your brook's dried up forever. Don't be completely discouraged. It may just mean that it's time to move on. That God has the next assignment for you. That God has something new for you. And that God has a way to bless you that's new. And the rest of the story, God wants to bless someone else through you as well. So don't give up if your brook dries up. There's something else in store for you. And most of the time, that something else is blessing someone else. 1 Kings 17, 10 through 16. This is where we wrap up this part of the story today. It says, So Elijah arose and went to Zarephath. And when he came to the gate of the city, behold, a widow was there gathering sticks, and he called to her. Widows in this culture, in this time in history, uh, were destitute. Um, when a woman's husband would die, these women would often have no way to make a living. And so here this woman is gathering sticks. We'll, we'll see why she's gathering sticks in a moment. And Elijah came. Uh, the widow was there gathering sticks. He said to her, bring me a little water in a vessel that I might drink. Now this seems incredibly rude and forward, but this is just kind of typical for, for that culture. Um, some of you have interacted with many cultures before. Some cultures are much more forward than we are. If I would have been Elijah, I would have been like, well, I'm going to take six days to get to know her. Four of those days will just be like, <laughs> giving her like, hello. And then, then once I finally worked up the nerve, I'm like, hey, would it be possible if you, like, maybe you could, if you had, and meh. And Elijah's like, I need water. And as she was going to bring it, he called to her and said, oh, bring me the bread that's in your hand. This is, this is pretty extreme now, Elijah. This is a woman who's destitute. She's poor. She has nothing. She's gathering sticks. You're telling her to get you water. You're telling her to bring you bread. And so she says to Elijah, as the Lord your God lives, doesn't say the Lord my God, by the way, as the Lord your God lives, I have nothing baked, only a handful of flour in a jar and a little oil in a jug. And now I am gathering a couple of sticks that I might go and prepare it for myself and my son that we can eat and die. Oh, it's poor, you know, this is pathetic, but it's true. She's like, I'm gathering sticks because the last of our food is our next meal. We don't know where our next meal is coming from. And so we are going to cook this last piece of bread. We're going to eat it, and then we're just going to lay down and die. Now, it seems ridiculous, but Elijah is about to do the same thing here uh, in a couple of years. Same thing. I might as well just die. So this woman, I don't think she's given up completely. It's just she, she's being a realist. I don't know where the next meal is coming from. How many of you have been there before? I don't know where the next meal is coming from. And Elijah said to her, don't fear. Don't be afraid. Do not fear. Go and do as, as you have said. Okay, go do it. Gather your sticks, make a fire, cook the bread, go. But here's the thing. First, make me a little cake of that bread and bring it to me. And after that, make something for yourself and your son. Really, Elijah? This lady's got nothing? 
You just confronted a king. God's provided you with food from ravens and a brook. You're commanding this poor widow to provide you not just with water, but now with bread. And you want to eat before her? For thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, here is where the prophecy comes. He's not being rude. He's just being forward culturally. It wouldn't have been seen as inappropriate. But God has a word for him that leads him to ask the woman these questions. And here is the word. The jar of flour shall not be spent. And the jug of oil shall not be empty until the day that the Lord sends rain upon the earth. Um, Dear woman, trust me. If you give, and I'm going to say me, but I'm actually talking about God here. If you give to me, because Elijah is representing God. If you give to me your very last, all that you have, and if you give it to me first, I'll bless you with everything else that you need. And your oil and your flour are not going to run out. Yeah, you're in, a, you're in a drought right now, and because of the drought, you're in a famine. I understand. But I'm going to provide you all you need until the water gets turned back on again. And so verse 15, the woman did as Elijah said. And she and her household ate for many days. Uh, three years to be exact. About three plus years. The jar of flour was not spent. Neither did the jug of oil become empty. According to the word of the Lord that he spoke to Elijah. So she does as she's told. And God continues to fill her cup, if you will. This is a a pretty standard miracle for God to perform, by the way. Um, Jesus shows up at a wedding. The wine runs out. Um, He turns water into wine. It keeps flowing. Um, The Israelites are wandering through the desert. Their their shoes never wear out. Um, They run out of manna, but God brings them more manna the next day. Um, we're not recorded in Scripture, but, but the story of, of Hanukkah that, that happened historically, um, that the oil in the lamps did not burn out as it should have. This is a standard miracle for God to provide something when there's nothing to provide. Barren women who are old in age being pregnant, standard miracles for God. So God provides refuge and provision for Elijah in another place, the house of the widow. And he doesn't just bless and provide for Elijah. This is what I want you to catch today. God blesses the widow and her son as well. Like we discussed last week, the atmosphere changes when someone full of the power and presence of God shows up. It can miraculously touch the lives of others within their proximity. As a Christian, I fully believe that God blesses your workplace just by you being there. As a Christian, I 100% believe that God blesses your school just by your presence. As a Christian, in a strange way, I believe that God blesses the stores you walk into just with your presence. And you say, Pastor, that sounds crazy. It's not. The Spirit of God's living inside of you. I've been in ministry for just about 20 years, and And when I was young, I didn't understand this. I'm still young. Um, When I was younger, I didn't understand this. Um, But I'm starting to pick up on something that I didn't, I wasn't mature enough to pick pick up on before. I was at a wedding yesterday doing this wedding, and I did just the most basic wedding in the universe. Just literally repeat the vows, repeat the rings, it's done. 
And there are certain people, every time I do a wedding or a funeral, and they just come and just gush, like that's the best wedding I've ever seen in my life. And like, I literally didn't do anything. This is the best funeral I've ever, I've ever seen conducted. And they just like, want to like shake your hand and, and hold on, like, thank you so much. This means so much. And I always like, I didn't do anything. And that's the point. It's not me. I didn't do anything. And in fact, I didn't bring any talent to the table, any skill to the table. All I had within me is the presence and the spirit of God. And I notice that happens more often when I go to a wedding or I go to a funeral where there are a small percentage, if any, Christians there. And what's happening is that people can sense the power and the presence of God in my life. And that's what they're drawn to, not to me. You say, Pastor, do you have the power and presence of God powerfully in your life? Just as much as you do. As a Christian, just as much as you. The only difference is I just said, yeah, I'll do it. I'll show up. I'll go. So somehow we change the presence. We, we change the atmosphere. I was eating dinner at a table at a, a wedding yesterday, and this woman from Tennessee, she looked at me and she said, I'm so glad to hear. And she didn't know anything about me. She just said, I'm so glad to hear that there are still Christians in Oregon. And, and it's kind of funny, but it's, it's actually really sad. And, and, I, and I actually stopped and thought, and I said to her, I'm like, I'm a missionary, not a pastor. I'm here as a missionary. That's what we are. We are here as missionaries. We are um, the remnant, if you will. There are not many believers in the Pacific Northwest, especially compared to the rest of the nation. And we often forget it. But if you go to Tennessee, if you go to Oklahoma, if you go to Texas, there's more churches than there are marijuana stores. Like, haha, there's, that means there's a lot of marijuana stores here, not a lot of churches. Um, follow me, guys. Keep track. We're almost done. Okay. So the atmosphere changes. And here this woman and her son are blessed just by the proximity to Elijah. All she had to do was say yes. She had to be willing to give up everything she had in order to receive all God had for her. Most of the time, we don't want to give up what we have. We walk around like this with the stuff that we have. And one of the first words every child learns is the word mine. We walk around and we declare over what we have in clenched fists as mine. And even this widow did this. This flower is mine. This oil's mine. These sticks are mine. This is all we have. And if I let go, I'm going to die. And in a crazy way, God was saying to this woman, if you let go, you'll live. And she was saying, if I let go, I'll die. And that should be the mantra for our life. If you... Let go, you'll live. Because when you live your life with open hands instead of closed fists, there is this natural law of sowing and reaping. What we are willing to give, God is willing to bless us with so that we can be a blessing to others like Elijah. And so this woman, she's like, I don't know, but I'm going to say yes. And when we hold on tightly, I, I, thought about, uh, I thought about grabbing some cash I had in my car and like doing this example. I'm like, then I'd have to lose my cash if I did this example because it's mine. Uh, and so I was going, let's just pretend, okay? <laughs> um, if, I had, if I gave uh, someone a $10 bill and I'm like, hold on to this $10 bill. Now I want you to give it back to me. But they hold on really tight because, no, this is the $10 bill. And I was going to be like, if they let it go, I'll give you 100 And I was like, I need that money this week. <laughs> and so, so 
Um, but the example is we hold on to the $10, um, but if we were to let it go, God may bless us. And I've always found that God does bless us with more. And so when we clench our fist closed, we miss out on all God has for us. So not only does this woman have to be willing to give all she has, did you notice she actually had to give it first? She had to give it to Elijah first before herself. And this, this is not a tithing message by any means, but this, this is like the ultimate example of tithing. She gives to God, and I understand Elijah's not God, but he represented God as a prophet. She gives to God her last, I don't want to say first, because it's literally all she had, which is more than first. She gave to God her last, and she gave it to God first before she took any for herself. And that's why relatively within the, the general vicinity of history, God speaks to the prophet Malachi about tithing and says, bring the full tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. I will rebuke the devourer for you so that it will not destroy the fruits of your soil. And your vine in the field shall not fail to bear, says the Lord of hosts. You say, Pastor, tithing's not for the New Testament church. We could, we could debate that all day long, but why would you want to miss out on that blessing? Why would you want to miss out on that? Why would you want to miss out on giving God your first and your best? Or like this woman, the last, first. And God promises us, God promises this woman, if you let go, I'll give you a lot more. I'll bless you with more than you had. If you give me your first and your best, the rest will be blessed. You see, God doesn't call everybody to be an Elijah. What do you mean? He doesn't call everybody to be a prophet that's going to go confront kings and presidents and prime ministers. And your Facebook posts don't count. That's not, that's not like bold prophecy. It's like face-to-face -face with someone like, hey, you know, this is the word of the Lord. Um, God doesn't call us all to be Elijah's all the time. But he does call all of us to be widows. You're not always called to be Elijah. But we're all called to be widows. What does that mean? That means we're called to give to others in need. That means we're called to support the work of the ministry. And it means we're called to be willing to give it all up if that's what God asks. And just as God provides refuge, protection, and resources for those who do and abide in his will, Elijah, water, meat, refuge. God provided all those things for Elijah. God also provides for those who sacrificially give to support the work of the ministry. Elijah could not have done his ministry if the widow had not done hers. There would be no Elijah without the widow. And you say, well, who's greater in the kingdom of God, Elijah or the widow? That's not how the kingdom of God works. They're, they're equal. They, they both are called to the same work, but they're just simply different members of the same body. You might say, well, is the worship leader or the pastor or the bishop or the apostle or the kid's pastor or the person who cleans or this or that? Like, who's greatest in the church? And the answer is, Jesus is the greatest in the church. We're just all serving him. We're all doing the same work. We're all different members of the body, and we're to do whatever God's called us to do within the body. And that's not just the local church. That it's in the church and in the world. 
many that are willing to give all and give much of what they have for the ministry find that God keeps filling the flour and filling the oil jars as we keep on pouring them out. Because you can't outgive God. The more you pour out, the more God pours in. The more you pour out, the more God pours in. And our lives should be lived to pour out everything that God's given us. To, 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 to waste it all, if you will. And as you waste it all, it's not wasted. God keeps providing and giving and giving more. I'll tell a story, and I'll ask the worship team to come up. It's not going to be a sad animal story. Um, but just an example of this in my, in my own life. Um, years ago, my wife and I, we bought our first house. It was 20, 20 years ago or so. And we bought this house, and at the time, the mortgage payment for us was incredibly high. And we, um, I lost my job. And the, the brook ran dry. And we didn't know what we would do. How would we pay the, this mortgage payment? And so that evening, we were, we were both fearful. We were like, you know, 21, 22 years old. Uh, we, we were kind of panicked. Like, we don't want to lose our house. We hadn't missed a, a house payment. Our, our credit for being young people was incredibly good. And uh, so we just said, we'll pray about it. Now, my wife was still working, and she had just gotten paid. The only problem with it at the time is we were struggling financially so much, not because it's just because we were making stupid financial decisions, looking back as, as an older person, like, man, we were dumb. And, and so we didn't have any money. And um, her paycheck covered our, our overdraft fees from the bank. How many of you have been there before? When your paycheck covers your overdraft fees. And we had $200 left after the overdraft fees were covered. And her check was for $2,000. And so we had agreed to tithe to our local church and tithe of $2,000 is $200. And so we like, okay, we, we have $200 that we can buy bread and oil and gather sticks, or we can give to God first out of literally our last. And so that night we, we decided, we, the, there was a thing that we used to have back then. It was, a, it was like a six-inch by three-inch piece of paper that you'd sign your name on the bottom. It's called a check. And, and so we wrote $200 for tithe. And we put it in a giving envelope, and, and we got out a piece of paper, and I said, Susan, I want you to write down everything that we need over the next two weeks, because it was two weeks until she got paid again. So we wrote down toilet paper, paper towels. Um, we need, you know, groceries. We, we just listed everything we could think of. And, like, we were, like, bold. We're, like, hey, we're out of mascara. I think we put mascara on that list, like, I, I wasn't out of mascara. Uh, I'm, I'm always out of mascara. It was the early 2000s. Um, and so it was like, we'd like to go on a date. I'm sorry about my mic here. Try to fix. So we, we, we want to go on a date. Let's write down a date. So we did all that, and we literally laid hands on the piece of paper, prayed over it. Our, that paper represented our, our last oil and our last flour. And we then tore that piece of paper up. We threw it away and said, God, we trust you. And so next day was the 15th, and the mortgage payment by that point, if it had exceeded the 15th, it would have been late, and that would have impacted our credit. It would have been bad. That day we went to the mail. Now, I had lost my job. It had been about two months at that time that I was doing some side work, looking for some work, and um, I had been denied unemployment. 
um, for two months been denied unemployment. And just days before, I got a letter like, your case is closed, you're not receiving unemployment. And went to the mail that day, the 15th, and as I opened up the mail, there was a stack of seven weeks of unemployment uh, that equaled exactly uh, our mortgage payment to the dollar. You say, well, you know, pastor, that's just coincidental. No, James tells us in the New Testament, every good and perfect gift comes from God. And Malachi says, test me in this and see if I won't open up the windows of heaven and pour out a blessing upon you until you have no more need. Is it because we were super spiritual people or we had our act together? Or No, no, not at all. We just chose by God's grace to be obedient. And God showed up. And 20 years later, the oils never ran out and the flour has never run dry. So we never ran out of flour. We never ran out of oil because God's faithful. And the more we've chosen to pour out, the more he fills the cupboards all over again. You see, you can't outgive God. He promises to bless and take care of those who do his will by being both the sent and the sender. Elijah and the widow. Elijah was the sent. Elijah was the obedient. Elijah was the willing. Elijah was the prophet. Elijah was the protected. Elijah was the provided for. The widow. While Elijah was the sent, uh, the widow was the sender. The widow was the willing. She was the obedient. She was the refuge for Elijah for three years. She was the provision for Elijah for three years. The widow, she was the blessed. What's God calling you to do? If God's called you, he will equip you. If God's called you, he will protect you. If God's called you, he will provide for you until the work is done. You just have to be willing to go. And you've got to be willing to stay on your feet because going usually is not stationary. When God tells you to go and you start going, the going never stops. You might stop for a moment, but God usually says go again. And you've got to keep moving. Is God calling you to marriage? What do you mean, Pastor? For, for the married people here, is God calling you to marriage? Because a lot of us oftentimes will just simply give up. Say, we've got no more to give to our marriage. We've got no more love to invest. I don't even like my spouse. How can I invest into them? I want to encourage you today that God can fix any marriage problem. God can work a miracle in every relationship. God can make your marriage new and whole. And if God has the grace and power to forgive you and restore you and make you clean, then you can see your spouse in the same way, by God's grace. So you might think, I, I, I only have this much left and I can't give it to my spouse. I'd encourage you, do it. Pastor, I don't ever want to get married because if I do, I might... There's a lot of mites, isn't there? That's all right. In fact, you will all those things. But God's big enough to keep you from walking in those things. And God could actually keep you married. I know that your parents got divorced. I know your grandparents got divorced. I know you've seen every relationship around you be a train wreck. But with God, this is possible. 
You called to a career change? Well, I don't have any more to give. I'm too old. I've got too much retirement already. I, I don't want to start at the bottom of the totem pole again. Hey, God will provide. If God's calling you to it, you better go. He'll provide you ref- refuge there. He'll provide all you need. Some of you, um, last couple weeks, we've, we lost several families to other states at our church, people moving out of Oregon. And I'm not saying that's you. I hope that you all stay for the sake of us. But, but is God calling you to move? Last night I was questioning, God, are you calling my wife and I to move to Hawaii? Because I said this Hawaiian dance, and I'm like, I, I think that's where I'm supposed to be. And, but, but is God calling you to move? And usually God calls people to move that don't want to move. If you want to move super bad, that's, that's probably you, and that's okay. It's probably not the call of God. doesn't mean you can't move. But if God calls you to move, you're probably the person that's like, no, this is all I know. But, but be like Elijah and be willing to go. Be willing to know that where you go, he's going to provide refuge. He's going to provide all that you need. Is God calling you to ministry? Well, if I enter ministry... Um, then that means I won't make as much money at the job I have now. You bet you're right on that. Yeah, that's true. But it's not about money. It's about being willing to open your hands. It's not about clenched fist of what you've got now. It's what God's calling you to now. And by calling you to it, when you go, you're going to bless others, and others are going to bless you. And God's going to keep filling the oil and keep filling the flour. Sowing and reaping, sowing again. What's God calling you to do? Is he support ministry? Is he calling you to give, to help others? Is he calling you to be the sender and not always the send? Oh, he is. See, your giving might be the doorway to someone else's blessing, and it totally is the doorway to your blessing. If God called you to give, he'll provide for you. If God called you to give, he'll bless you. If God called you to give, he'll stay true to his promise. So some of you that are all about the power and the manifest presence of God, you just want to be an Elijah. Sadly, you'll never be an Elijah unless you're willing to be a widow first. See, God brings the last and brings them first, the least and makes them the most. He invites the one who takes the least honorable seat at the table and puts them at the head of the table. You can't want to be Elijah if you're not willing to be the widow. What does that mean? That means you need to keep pouring out your oil, pouring out your flour. Give to support the work of the ministry. Give to help others. This is not a tithing message for Fellowship Church. Find a church you can tithe to. Find a way to walk into this this avenue of sowing and reaping. Hey, Chiago, come up on stage with me real quick. You are here, right? Yeah, okay, cool. He's coming. Chiago is a good friend. Um, Chiago is from Brazil. Uh, him and his wife, Danny, and their daughter, Alana, uh, was a part uh, of our church for about, you know, a year or so, give or take, because of COVID, um, until God called them back to Brazil. The reason that, uh, so, um, th- the reason Chiago's here is he had to come back to the United States. Funny about people moving, I- I'm friends with his in-laws, and I contacted his in-laws to go out to dinner with him. And they're like, oh, we just moved to South Dakota. I'm like, you did? Like, you didn't tell anybody. Oh, we just decided and we did. Okay. Hasta la vista. So, um, but Chiago came back to Oregon because he had um, his citizenship test. 
uh, because he knows that God's going to call him back and forth from the U.S. to Brazil, the U.S. to Brazil, and it was a hassle to get visa after visa after visa, and he wanted to become a United States citizen, and so he's been here for a couple weeks. He's got to stay with my wife and I, um, got to stay with uh, a grandmother of his wife's, got to be here at our, um, at our conference for the Fellowship Network and was blessed by that, and uh, because they told him he had to wait. Uh, for his citizenship test because it could have got moved due to COVID. So you've, you've kind of been here a long time, right? Okay. And he wants to see his wife and his daughter, and he's going back on Tuesday, right? So the reason I say this is, so on Thursday, um, this guy uh, became an American citizen. But we still love Brazil, too. So it's not, that's kind of a weird thing to say, like, Brazil sucks, you're an American. No, it's like, both are amazing, and both are beautiful places. And so, but he's an American citizen, which means he can go back and forth freely, and now you know, he's not only a brother in Christ, but he, he's a, a fellow American. Um, but what reason I brought you up here, you don't know why, is because um, Chiago, the, the community that him and his wife own a house in is, in, um, is, is a YWAM base uh, in, in, in Brazil. And I, I, we could all tell you the name of the town, but we wouldn't know what it is, right? So, But what is it? You heard it. So... It's the town where, where, where he lives in, in Brazil. And him and his wife have been going literally up the mountain, um, up the mountain from where you are. Can someone bring me a handheld mic? Um, on the YWAM base. And to minister to, to children in the community there, right? You guys have been going up to the top of the hill to minister to children and families up on top of the mountain, right? Yeah, okay, awesome. So, so um, God had put on his heart, um, there's a piece of land there that he has desire to build a community center to continue to minister to the, the children, the families there on that base, uh, teach sign language, right? And to, um, to provide clothing for people through holding bazaars, um, discipleship classes, small groups. He doesn't want to call it a church, but it's a church, man. And so... And he said he, he feels called. He's, he's fighting this, this call, like, am I a pastor? Am I not a pastor? What do I do when I'm there? And so this piece of land, um, he can buy it for 10000 U.S. dollars, right? And so one of the people he stayed with, um, his, his wife's grandparents uh, in Staten, that he just kind of shared that with them a little bit, and they said that, and they gave you $5,000, right? And like, I was not, like, sharing or fundraising. I was, like, I was, like just... Please pray for me. I'm trying to make a decision. And the guy just came to me. Ah, oh, yeah? If you decide, like, I will pay half for you. Like, <laughs> and I was just like, no, that, that's not real. Like, that's not real. <laughs> yeah. But it's real. And he gave $5,000. So he needs 5000 more um, to buy this land when he goes back to Brazil. They're holding it for him. Um, the owner of this land is selling you the land for less than they could buy, sell it for otherwise, right? And it's a nice piece of land positioned right where he needs to do ministry. So I, I just thought I'd share this. Like, maybe somebody here wants to give to you. I don't know. But I know that all of us are widows, which means we're all called to pray for you, to send you, and, and then to see how we can help. And I was asking Chiago, how much will it cost to build the building there? And you said about $20,000 U.S., right? And so it's going to be a while before he gets to the land. It's going to be a while before um, that starts rolling. But, you know, Chiago, I want to make a commitment for our church. Like, we're going to be a part of that building and we'll send people there to help build. We'll send money there to help build because God wants to do some great things there through you and in you. And it's been an honor. We've sent him as a missionary from our church 
Um, some of you support them uh, monthly. And if you'd like to support, like today, if you want to give toward that land, um, you can give towards uh, Brazil. Text to give uh, with the word Brazil. Um, app with the word Brazil. Website with the word Brazil. I'd love to see that land purchased right away. And um, I'm excited for that to happen. So you're going back to South Dakota Tuesday. You'll be there a few weeks and then then back to Brazil, hopefully. Right? Yeah, just one thing that, like, uh, I had to decide, like, Friday, the day before yesterday. And I was, like, talking with Dan and we prayed. We did decide, like, to buy. So uh, next month I need to pay. But I'm not worried about that because I know that God, like, uh, tell me, like, to do that. So thanks so much for sharing and. I really, I, I really know that it's not like through you, but I will, I will have like the mind to that. And but I, I really appreciate like the way that they, that church specifically are like treating us and like all the time. Like the pastor is like a very nice guy. I went to his house and I'm, I'm like a lot of. Uh, I don't like dogs, but I like his, his. <laughs> I like his dogs. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So my, do my dogs slept with you, right? Yeah, yeah, he had to confess to his wife. He was, like, snuggling with my dog. Um, so would you guys stand? We're going to sing. But I want you to extend, extend hands this way as we pray for Chiago. And I didn't, I didn't plan on bringing him up here, but it was like, oh, man, this is the message I'm preaching. Bring the guy up. Uh, so not all of us are Elijahs. And right now, Chiago is an Elijah in a community. We're all called to be Elijahs sometime, but we're all called to be widows. And so I'm not, we're not asking. Chiago didn't know I was going to call him up. I'm not asking you to give money to Chiago. But if you want to give money to that, awesome. That's cool. Um, but I'm just excited to see how God will bless you as you heard this message today. You can't be an Elijah unless you're willing to be a widow. We're all called to be widows. And when we are a blessing to others, God blesses us in return. And next week, we'll wrap, we'll wrap up this part of the story and go on to the big showdown between Baal and, and Yahweh, the God of Israel. So God, thank you for this word today. Thank you for our friends and our brother, uh, Chiago. Thank you, God, for his wife, Danny, their daughter, Alana. God, bless them, provide for them abundantly. Jesus, thank you um, that he passed his citizenship test, and he knows more about our country than any of us do here to pass that test. Um, God, I pray that um, you would um, allow them to freely travel back and forth as they need to for the sake of their family, the ministry, the gospel, and the ministry back in Brazil. God, thank you for this property that you've laid in front of him. That you've already provided half of uh, what they need for him. And uh, thank you for the building that will go there. Uh, thank you for the ministry, most of all, that will be done there and the gospel that we preach there. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you guys. Let's sing, and uh, Kara will come up and dismiss you in just a minute. And holy, there is no one like you. There is none beside you. Open up my eyes in wonder. Show me who you are and fill me with your heart and lead me in your love to those us. Sing again, holy.
message. Um, so I have a story. Uh, a couple years ago when, um, so just to reiterate, when Anthony said pastors don't make a lot, that is true. Uh, very true. So a couple years ago, my husband and I, being pastors and not making a lot, um, we found ourselves like pretty, pretty tight on our budget. Um, and we got a card in the mail that was not signed by anyone. To this day, I don't know who it was from. Um, and it was a card that said, thank you for what you do in pouring into, um, into the youth in our church and in our city. And it had a Visa gift card for $300. And I was like, shoot, that is a lot for people that don't make a lot. Um, and it was fantastic. And we put it aside and said, we should save this for, like, I, I feel like there's, there, there's a reason um, for this. And a couple weeks later, my husband was driving his truck. Uh, and if you know where we live, we live on, a, on a, um, a flat road that is on a very steep hill. So he's driving his truck and his brakes go out. And thankfully, he didn't get to the steep hill part yet because that would be a train wreck, um, literally, because at the bottom of the hill is a train track. Um, so thankfully, he was still on the flat part of our road, um, and his brakes went out, and um, a friend came over to help us fix it. it every, everyone was safe. Everything was okay. The brakes, all, all of the, everything to, together cost $300. Um, so to whoever it was, because again, I don't know, whoever it was that paid for that, Thank you for being faithful, for being, um, for being the widow in that situation. Thank you as, as the, the receiving end of it. Um, so I would encourage you, go out this week, be faithful in what God is calling you to do. Maybe it's in finances, maybe it's in your marriage, maybe it's in your workplace. Um, be faithful in what God is calling you to do. Have a great week, and we will see you next week. Enjoy your sunny weekend.